Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. I'm Laura Gregg, and I am joined with my co-host and friend, David Partain. How are you today, David? I am well, Laura. I am excited for today's episode. And I also am excited that you called me your friend. That's awesome. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, On the Flexible Advisor, we seek to invite guests that will provide unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine tune or grow their businesses, all while deepening those very important client relationships. And today we will be talking about career and life transitions. Specifically, we'll be talking about resources that you can use to help your executive clients as they navigate both professional and personal transitions. Our guest today is an executive life coach who has helped hundreds of leaders pivot in their careers and their lives. Her clients include CEOs and C-suite executives from Inc. 500 companies, Crane's Fast 50, and the Chicago Tribune's Top 100 Workplaces, and more. Elisa Spain's experience as a Fortune 500 company executive at Northern Trust, a Vistage Master Chair, leading a CEO peer advisory board for 15 years, coupled with a successful pivot from the corporate world into entrepreneurship, has shaped her very unique perspective. And the result is a flexible coaching style that enables Elisa to deliver superior results to achievement-driven CEOs, business owners, and C-suite executives. Elisa, we are so delighted to have you on the Flexible Advisor today. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Elisa, it is always fun to speak with a Northern Trust alum. And I'm interested to learn about your career path and having read your bio and having attempted to start a couple of companies myself, why you decided to pivot into entrepreneurship. Thank you for the question, David. I am a proud Northern Trust alum. I had a rewarding (laughs) career at Northern Trust and I'm also proud of the legacy of Passport, which you guys still use and was a product my team developed in strategic initiatives I'm not going to tell you how long ago, a while ago. <laughs> I was <laughs> during my 18 years at Northern, I learned so much that prepared me for working with entrepreneurs and becoming one myself. I've always loved coaching, and it was my favorite part of being a manager. The opportunity to coach as a career is what led me to launch my leadership coaching practice about 20 years ago and the U Pivot program more recently. So your biography talks about evolving from an executive coach to an executive life coach. So tell us about the differences between the two and what practical experiences led you to expand your coaching into this specific direction. When I began coaching, my focus was on helping executives become better leaders. 
For professional leaders, this was all about growing their leadership skills and advancing their careers, especially for those with an eye on the CEO seat. For business founders and next-gen family businesses, this included developing leadership skills and learning how to take their businesses to the next level by developing a leadership team. After working with some of these leaders for a number of years, I discovered that some of them were looking for a 2.0 or 3.0 version of themselves. I began by informally working with them on this phase. And about four years ago, a former client asked me if I would work with him on his career. At first I said, I don't do that. And I referred him to an outplacement firm. And he came back and said, I don't want outplacement. I want coaching on how to advance my career. I'm open to changing jobs, but my preference is to advance where I am. His words convinced me and he became my first UPivot client. I inserted the word life in between executive and coach when I began working with clients in transition because so much of transition, even when it's career transition is about our lives. So much of our identity and community is tied to what we do. And this is especially true for executives. Some people think this only applies to business founders. And my experience is that founders, family business executives and corporate executives all feel an emotional connection to their business. The life coaching part of the executive life coaching for me is about identifying what matters for our lives so that we can construct the next version of ourselves. I recently read a um, result of a survey from the Exit Planning Institute where they said 75% of business owners profoundly regret selling their business 12 months after finalizing the deal. And that really struck me. And I, what I said is, you know, my audacious goal is to make a dent in that percentage, bringing it to zero for my clients. Not only those who are selling, but those who are changing careers or retiring from a professional career. Wow, Elisa, uh, there, you know, there's so much to talk about and when we, we get into the topic of transition. And we've published a few podcasts um, specifically about women in transition. And in, in many cases, the, and I'm using air quotes, the in transition is due to something ending, whether that be a divorce, the death of a spouse, the loss of a job. So I'm curious, uh, you know, when executives come to you, you gave us one example already, but when executives are coming to you for coaching, is the transition typically due to something that was outside of their control? Or is it more often based on their desire to create something new? I'd love to learn more about the types of changes that you're helping your clients navigate. I would say it's both. I work with people who have had an ending, for example, a job loss or a sale of a business. In the perfect world, these folks come to me when the job loss or business sale is anticipated. A year or so in advance is ideal. The longer the gap between the exit and seeking coaching, the more challenging creating the next version of oneself becomes. I recently worked with an executive who had exited his company. The company was acquired and it was a matter of time before the new owner bought into their own team, brought in their own team. And my clients saw the writing on the wall, but wanted a package, so we waited for that. When we met, he had been out for maybe about three or four months and had not done much about finding his next opportunity. 
After working through the UPivot program, he got his mojo back and discovered he was well-networked. And by the end of the six-month program, he had three job offers. So he kind of came in the ideal time and worked through the program in the ideal way. Uh, and as you noted, I also work with people who have a desire to create something new. For example, that my first client that I mentioned earlier, I call these self-activated transitions. In, in my experience, when these transitions are planned and they develop a written personal strategic plan, the odds of beating that 75% I talked about rise exponentially. I have a client currently who sold the last company that he was leading and planned to create a portfolio of family time, uh, investing and advising in entrepreneurs and philanthropy. And when one of the companies he invested in asked him to become their CEO, he accepted with the condition that his primary role would be to replace himself. So he's working full-time again, which was not his intent. And to his credit, he engaged me and began the UPivot program at the same time to ensure he continued to focus on his ultimate goal of his three-part portfolio. So in short, it's, it's both after a transition is thrust upon people and ideally, it's when people are, are planning for a transition or recognize that one is going to be thrust upon them. So I love the use of the word portfolio as you talk about your clients' lives and intentionally designing that portfolio. And I know you mentioned that you know, you, you've helped people that are, are staying in their current company. Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, when do those people come to you and how do you help them uh, improve their effectiveness or, or their um, happiness within either their current role or their current company? And how does that fit into the portfolio? I think it happens in, in two types of situations. One is, again, that first client that I mentioned where somebody is looking to advance their career. The other is one that I'm working with a client now, which I'll tell you about in a minute, who um, is looking to change the way they show up in their career. So both of those, you could argue are traditional coaching and, and not really a pivot. However, the pivot part of it is, is the change that the person is looking to have in, in their current environment. And so putting some structure around the process of understanding where they are today, what matters to them. So what's driving the desire for an advancement or a change in how they show up. And then, and then writing their, their story of the future, which is kind of the essence of the program and applies really no matter what kind of transition people are looking for. Right now I'm working with a uh, founding partner, one of four founding partners of a law firm. And her goal was to move from being a doer to a full-time leader. And this is a hard transition in general, but especially for an attorney because it's a, you're a senior level executive, except you're, you're doing more than the typical senior level executive in another environment might do. And so the t time demands are really high. And I, I believe that the UPivot program 
adds the essential pause needed to recognize both the life and career changes needed to make the, to, to do this sort of transition. Alisa, I remember when my father retired and since he didn't play golf, I kind of asked him, so dad, what are you going to do with all the time you now have? And he pointed, of course, to a bookcase full of books, which I also could point to. And he said, I'm finally going to have all the time. And I have to say, it wasn't, it was like three months later. And my mom told me that, and I found out that he had applied for a part-time job because he was just bored. So I'm curious if you are also coaching executives that have already sold their business or retired from corporate life, do you find that many people retire and they don't really know what to do with themselves? In my personal life, I have known people like that. My father was one of those as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So far, I am finding that people come to me within a year of an exit. And as I mentioned earlier, this is ideal because the longer somebody's been out, um, it's harder. And my guess, and I don't know this for certain, is that they're less likely to seek coaching. So, you know, you're coaching high-powered executives, and I imagine that that requires quite a bit of finesse. These are the people that have been used to calling all of the shots. Is it sometimes difficult for them to get or for them to let go of the reins and allow you to lead the process? And do you have any tips for advisors that might have similar clients, you know, for getting them to lower their guard? What would you say? Laura, I think you'd be surprised with very few exceptions in the 20 plus years I've been coaching executives this has not really happened. My sense is that when it comes to their own lives and careers, I think most are happy to let go of the reins. They they seem to welcome the opportunity to not be in charge and to follow a program. I I think having a program just like like your um, advisors do, I think helps a great deal. I I think when when it's more kind of instinctive, which is a lot of what they do in running their businesses, they feel like they don't need help with that. They, they know what to do. But when it's their personal lives and there is a program, it's like hiring any other kind of, of consultant. They, if, if they've made the decision to hire an advisor, either a financial advisor or a, a um, life coach, is, in, as we're talking about here, I think that, that my experience is that they're willing to give up. And I think that that's why. I, I also find that the discipline that successful executives apply to running their businesses, which is why I enjoy working with executives so much, serves them well in planning their transition. So, so while there's a number like David's father and my father who don't do it, those that do, I think are successful at, at making the change and coming up with, with the what's next. That's fantastic. So I'm curious, like, you know, especially for our listeners, uh, which signs or triggers should they be aware of that will better help them identify their clients who may need some transition support? 
I think there's three things for advisors to look for. Uh, one is, have it, has your client started talking about a future exit? And, and is that eminent, like within the next one to three years? Uh, another one is, if you probe and ask questions when they start talking about this, do they recognize that they're embarking on two journeys, a professional one and a personal one? And then finally, again, back to David's father and mine, has your client identified what they're going to do, to do next, but perhaps haven't articulated how they're gonna get from here to there. Um, and kind of that sums up as do they have a personal strategic plan? And if, if they say, oh, I'm gonna play golf and read books, I think those are triggers that, that the answer to the third question is, is no. So what are, um, what would the response be instead of I'm gonna read books and play golf, be of somebody that, that has a great chance of success, that has had the foresight to look in the future and know what they wanna do? What, what, what types of responses do you hear from those people? Well, I think like the example of the man I was talking about earlier who said, I want to create a portfolio that includes a bit of philanthropic, a bit of investing and a bit of, of family and travel time. And then you probe to the next level and he talks about he's not sure how he's going to get there. That's kind of the ideal one because he knows the what and where the coaching can help is with the how. Coaching can also help him with the what, but that also ends up being two steps. So it can, it can take a, a bit longer. The, the, when the what is vague, um, I think that's also a trigger that they could benefit from some help. And people who are open to hiring an advisor like a financial advisor are, are likely accustomed to hiring advisors. And so I think that um, should embolden your advisors who are listening to this podcast to suggest that they consider hiring a coach. Some people don't know that that even exists. I would say a lot of people don't know that that exists because people yeah. tend to focus on just the financial side. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say that a lot of executives probably don't know that exists. And so I'm very hopeful that the advisors listening today will, will, We'll try this because it isn't, as I was looking at your website and looking at all you do and how important storytelling is. And we know I mean, marketing and advertising, it's, it's key. We all, everyone loves a good story and you can draw people in. And the story can also get them to do and to imagine a certain action. So in researching your, your pivot program, and it looks like you have them really tell their story. And, and a, that story creation is a large part of the program. Explain more about UPivot and the stories around it and why it has been successful. David, you're correct. The UPivot program is all about storytelling, in particular, telling your own story. Mm -hmm. It's a three-part program that begins with with telling your today's story. And I ask people to, to write it down and ideally share it in, in chapters. And the, the today's story is enlightening because it gives people the ability to kind of reflect back on their life and see what the common themes are of what worked and what didn't. And so that's part of the today's story debrief, if you will. 
And then I ask them to focus on defining what matters. I use the wheel of life as a tool for this part of the exercise. And if my client has a significant other, I encourage them to ask their significant other to complete this part of the exercise as well so they can create a Venn diagram and see where they intersect. And then the ultimate is to write their tomorrow story, which clearly articulates what they want their life to look like, not 10 years from now, but starting now and then including the future, perhaps for the same sort of time frame, three to five years that you might do for a strategic plan. Because the tomorrow story, which is, your, is the equivalent of a business vision, forms the basis for the personal strategic plan. And I think that this process is successful because executives are accustomed to articulating a vision and a strategic plan for their business. I find that most have an aha moment when I ask them to do it for themselves because they realize that just as for a business, the vision is essential and is the hardest part. And I think this inspires them to get started and move forward. Again, as I reflect back on that client I was talking about earlier that had three job offers, that was like a light bulb for him. And once he, he put together his tomorrow story and a strategic plan, it, it was total breakthrough. And that's when he, he was started you know, networking appropriately and got all those offers. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I'm curious, could we go back just a little bit? You mentioned something called the wheel of life. What, what is that exactly? So it, it's basically a pie chart that um, includes all of the, the components that to you make a full life. I give them a suggested wheel of life, which will have things like your family, travel, adventure, um, philanthropic, variety of, of different kind of life components. And then I ask them to draw their own with the spokes being the size that they are today. And, you know, the co most common one, back to what we were talking about earlier, is work is either half or three quarters, and then everything else squeezes into the, the remaining part of the, the wheel. Um, and for people where that is the case, some of them then will draw their, their what matters wheel completely different. So work will be, you know, just a skinny little piece and everything else will be equal around it. And so when that happens, I challenge them on how realistic they're being. Because if they're, especially if somebody who wants to, to continue in their career and, and pivot in some way, either to a higher level position or, or something of that nature, to be realistic about what it really is. And so we spent a lot of time focused on the what is and the what matters and being realistic about what matters. And similarly with their significant other, I have found that to be breakthrough as well. I had one client who kept talking to me about his wife's expectations. And then she did her wheel. And I, we, what we discovered was what he believed she expected and what she really expected were not the same. So then we started joking about his, his wife in his head versus the real one. Uh, and which was very enlightening and helpful for him in terms of, of moving forward. So perception versus reality, right? There you go. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to pivot now. 
Um, and where I got that perception versus reality uh, is that I have subscribed to your Sunday stories that you write and share from your website. And that was, that was this Sunday's story. And uh, it was a great read. Um, these are so well done and they cover so many different topics, uh, but they have the thread of transition and change running through each of them. And I find them extremely enlightening. And um, Elisa, uh, on this podcast over the last year and a half, we have talked a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how important it is to create a comfortable environment for those around us. Uh, and your another recent Sunday story was titled Words Matter, and it illuminated how certain terms and phrases that have been used regularly for years and years and years in the business world can be offensive. And so many of us of a certain age probably give very little or no thought to using jargon that we grew up with, quite frankly. It's been part of our business vernacular for decades. But when we break it down, it becomes clear that some of that language should probably just be retired. And I'd love it if you would share a little bit of your thoughts on this topic. This, this is a subject, Laura, that I am passionate about and have written about for years. Working with leaders for all the years that I have, I am compelled by the research on how good companies have become great companies when they include diverse perspectives. And as you pointed out, once you start including diverse perspectives, words matter. One of my favorite Benjamin Franklin quotes, I think says it all best. When everyone in the room is thinking the same, no one is thinking. <laughs> and words are a big part of this. The more we start to pause and learn the stories of the people around us, the diverse stories of the people around us, the more aware we become of how our words land and the more encouraged we are to choose words so that others can hear us. Because the problem is that when we use some of these words that have become part of the vernacular that we don't even remember where they came from and don't even notice what we're actually saying, people that are hearing us shut down. And as I talked about in the, that blog, the whole purpose of communication is to be heard and we're not heard when we choose words that inadvertently perhaps um, send a message that we didn't intend. Right. And I think for the younger generation, too, um, a lot of the idioms that that we've heard and used over the years, whether they're, you know, uh, they could be construed as offensive or not, um, don't really make sense to the younger generations. Like, just say what you mean. Don't don't use a colloquialism to explain right. something. Just put the words out there. And I, I know I make that mistake a lot. My children remind me of it very, quite frequently. And it, it does require a pause. I um, like the one that I used in that, that blog is a, a common term that was used that I've always struggled with called it's open the kimono. 
Yeah. It's used a lot in the consulting world. It's also used in the coaching, uh, coaching world. And when I've talked to people and I, I've challenged them on it, they, I have had people say, well, what else can we say? And I'm like, well, how about transparent? Yeah. <laughs> the, but the point is that people get so accustomed to the vernacular, they don't even realize that there are other words. And that's where the pausing comes in. Right. And nor when they're saying it, do they necessarily mean it to be offensive? It's just what they've said exactly. for 30 years because exactly that's what came before them. They, they don't mean it to be offensive and yet it could land as offensive, which is why it, I think, you know, we have to figure out how to ch- challenge and maybe like you said, the young people do it more effectively to challenge in a non-confrontational um, way to really in a curious way, like what, what do you mean by that? I don't know what that means. Right. I know in talking to some of the uh, generations below me, if I mention a movie reference, there's oftentimes where, what does that mean? Because they weren't even born when that character said that line. (laughs) So it's very very similar. All right, uh, Lisa, our time is quickly coming to a close. And so I, what I always like to ask our guests is to leave our listeners with some actual takeaways. And I think the takeaway for me will be subscribing to your Sunday stories, which can be found on your website. And many of our listeners are advisors of executives, business owners, and probably people very similar to your clients. So how best can they be proactive and help guide their clients whom are thinking about or needing a pivot? I think uh, kind of continuing the, the words and listening, I think the best way is to listen and be proactive and ask questions. I had a, a client this year that was referred to me by an advisor a year ago. The advisor recognized that the client needed a career pivot. His company had been acquired and she urged him to contact me. While he didn't do it right away, the proactivity of his advisor gave him an option, gave him the information that it existed, and then got him moving in the right direction sooner than he might have otherwise. I was talking to another advisor last week who mentioned to me that what he's learned is to not just ask about retirement goals and then add it to the financial plan and then forget about it, but rather to monitor and ask questions about these sort of goals, especially as it starts to get closer to reality. And to begin asking his clients the questions that I referred to earlier, the the triggering uh, questions, to find out if they thought about the two journeys, if they, to remind them that financial planning is only a part of the personal planning required. And so the more the advisor starts to ask questions that are, that are beyond the financial conversations that you have with them, the more um, able I think that they're able to, to um, give them the information that there is other parts to consider and that there is Um, an advisor out there who can assist with that piece as well. Well, Lisa, as you've talked, I 
there is a Bloomberg chart that I, uh, I always often referred to, and it shows the decline in the current advisors here in the U.S. and how many of them are retiring. And so I know a lot of the, the advisors that we work with are looking at retirement themselves, not just um, advising on it, but actually are looking at retirement themselves. And they hung out their shingle years ago, and they've been entrepreneurs. And so I know your work has uh, been very effective for those, those advisors who, who have taken advantage of it. Well, Alisa, what a real delight to have you on the podcast today. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon, please. If you are an advisor, in today's show notes, we have provided you access to a Q&A, especially for advisors, to help with your clients who are in transition. If you'd like to learn more about Alisa, just go to her website, alisaspain.com, where you can learn more and subscribe to her Sunday stories. Subscribe today. They are great. If you like this podcast, you may also like the other FlexShares podcast called Funds in Focus. Check it out today and you will find it wherever you get your podcasts. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.